Chapter 7. Amy's Valley of Humiliation That boy is a perfect cyclops, isn't he, said Amy. One day, Azori clattered by on horseback, with a flourish of his whip as he passed. How dare you say so, when he's got both his eyes, and very handsome ones they are too, cried Joe, who resented any slighting remarks about her friend. I didn't say anything about his eyes, and I don't see why you need fire up when I admire his writing. Oh my goodness, that little goose means a centaur. She called him a cyclops, exclaimed Joe with a burst of laughter. You needn't be so rude. It's only a lapse of linging, as Mr. Davis says, retorted Amy, finishing Joe with her Latin. I just wish I had a little of of the money Lori spends on that horse, she added, as if to herself, yet hoping her sisters would hear. Why? asked Meg kindly, for Joe had gone off in another laugh at Amy's second blunder. I need it so. I'm dreadful in debt and it won't be my turn to have the rag the rag money for a month. In debt, Amy, what do you mean? And Meg looked sober. Why, I owe at least a dozen pickled limes, and I can't pay them, you know, till I have money, for Marmy forbade me having anything charged at the shop. Tell me about it. Are limes the fashion now? It used to be pricking bits of rubber to make balls, and Meg tried to keep her hair con- contenturance. Amy looked so grave and important. Why, you see, the girls are always buying them, and unless you want to be thought mean, you must do it too. It's nothing like limes now, for everyone. It's nothing like limes now, for everyone is sucking them in their desk in school time and trading them off for pencils, bead rings, paper dolls, or something else at recess. If one girl likes another, she gives her a lime. If she's mad with another, she eats one before, before her face and doesn't even offer a suck. They treat by turns, and I've had so many, but haven't returned them, and I ought, for they are debt and and honor, you know. How will you pay them offer and restore your credit? Asked Meg, taking out her own purse. A quarter would more than do it, and leave a few cents over for a treat for you. you, Don't you like limes? Not much. You may have my share. Here's the money. Make it last as long as you can, for there isn't very plenty, you know. Oh, thank you. It must be so nice to have pocket money. I'll have a grand feast for I haven't a lime for I haven't tasted a lime this week. I felt delicate about taking any as I couldn't return them and I'm actually suffering for one. Next day, Amy was rather late at school, but could not resist the temptation of displaying with ponderable prize pride a moist brown paper parcel before she before she co signed it in its inmost recess at her desk. During the few minutes that the rumor that Amy March had had gotten twenty four delicious limes, she ate one on the way, and she was going to treat circulated her set, and the attentions of her friends became quite overwhelming. Katie Brown inviting her invited her to her next party on the spot. Marty Kingsley insisted on lending her her watch till recess, and Jenny Snow, a straggled young lady who had basely twisted. Amy, upon her limeless state, promptly buried the hatchet and offered to furnish answers to certain appalling sums. But Amy had not forgotten Miss Snow's cutting remarks about some persons whose noses are not too flat to smell other people's limes and stuck up people who are not too proud to ask for them, and she instantly crushed that snow girl's hopes by the withering telegram. You needn't be so polite all of a sudden, for you won't get any. Additionally, this personable happened to visit the school that morning and amy's beautiful dawn maps received braids which honor to her foe wrinkled in the sew of mrs 
of Miss Snow and Miss Marge to assume the airs of a studious young peacock. But alas, alas, pride goes before a fall, and the revenge snow turned the tables with disastrous success. No sooner had the guest paid the usual state compliments and bowed himself out, did Jenny, under pretense of asking an important question, informed Mr. Davis that the teacher, that Amy March, had pickled limes in her desk. Now Mr. Davis had declared limes a contraband article and solemnly vowed to publicly perfume the first person who was found breaking the law. This much-enduring man had succeeded in banishing chewing gum after a long and stormy war, had made a bonfire of confiscated novels and newspapers, and suppressed a private post office, a forbidden, and had forbidden distortions of the face, nicknames, caricatures, and none all that one man could do to keep half a hundred rebellious girls in order. Boys are trying enough to, are trying enough to human patience. Goodness knows what girls are infinitely more so especially to nervous gentlemen with tyrannical tempers and no more talent for teaching than Dr. Blimmer. Mr. Davis knew any quality, any quality of Greek, Latin, algebra, all, and ologies of all sorts, so he called a fine teacher, and manners, morals, feelings, and examples were not considered of any particular importance. It was a most unfortunate moment for announcing Amy and Jenny knew it. Mr. Davis had eventually taken his coffee too strong that morning. There was a east wind which always affected his <laughs> which had always affected his neuralgia, and his pupils had not done him the credit which he felt he deserved. Therefore, to use the expensive, if not elegant language of a schoolgirl, he was as nervous as a witch and as cross as a bear. The word limes was like the fire to power. His yellow face flushed and he rapped on his desk with energy which made Jenny skip to her seat with unusual ra rapidity. Young ladies, attention if you please. As a stern order, the buzz ceased and fifty pairs of blue, black, gray, and brown eyes were obediently fixed upon the awful countenance. Miss March, come to the desk. Amy rose to comply with outward, without outward composure. But a secret feud obsessed for her limes weighed upon her conscience. Bring with you your limes you have in your desk, was the unexpected command which arrested her before she got out of her seat. Don't take all, whispered her neighbor, a young lady of great precedence of mind. Amy hastily shook out half a dozen and laid the rest down before Mr. Davis, feeling that any man posing a human heart would reliant when the precious fume met his nose. Unfortunately, Mr. Davis particularly detested the odor of the fashionable pickle and disgusted added to his wrath. Is that all? Not quite, stammered Amy. Bring the rest immediately. With a despairing gl glance at her seat, she obeyed. Are you sure there are no more? I never lie, sir. So I see. Now take these distinguishing things two by two and throw them out the window. There was a simultaneous sigh which created quite a little gust as the last hope fled and the treat was ravished from their longing lips. Scarlet with shame and anger, Amy went to and fro with six dreadful times, and as each doomed couple, looking, oh, so plump and juicy, fell from her reluctant hands, a shot from the street completed the anguish of the girls, for it told them that their face was being excluded over by the little Irish girl who were their sworn foes. This. This was too much. All flashed indigenous or appealing glances as the inexorable Davis and one passionate lime lover burst into tears. As Amy returned from her last trip, Mr. Davis gave a prosperous hem and said in his most impressive manner, 
Young ladies, you remember what I said to you a week ago. I am sorry this has happened, but I will never allow my rules to be infringed, and I never break my word. Miss March, hold out your hand. Amy started, but put both hands behind her, turning on him an imploring look which pleaded for her better than the words she could not utter. She was rather a favorite with old Davis, as of course he was called. It was, It's my private belief that he, he would have broken his word if the indignation of impressible young ladies had not found vain in a hiss. That hiss, faint as it is, was irritated, and the insatiable gentleman had sealed the culprit's fate. Your hand, Miss March, was the only answer her muted appeal received and too proud to cry or breach. Amy set her, her teeth, threw back her head defensively, and bore without flinching several tingling blows on her little palm. There were many... There were neither many nor heavy, but that made no difference to her. For the first time in her life, she had been struck, and the disgrace in her eyes was as deep as it had knocked her down. You will now stand on the platform till recess, said Mr. Davis, resolved to do the things thoroughly since he had begun. That was dreadful. It would have been bad enough to go to her seat and see the, the, pity on her fr the pitiful faces on her friends or the satisfied ones of her new enemies, but to the whole school... With that shame fresh upon her, it seemed impossible, and for a second she felt as if she could only drop down where she stood and break her heart with crying. A bitter sense of wrong and thought of Jenny Snow helped her to bear it, and taking the ignoramus place, she fixed her eyes on the stove funnel above what now seemed to be a sea of faces, and stood there so motionless and white that the girls found it very hard to study with that pathetic figure before them. During the fifteen minutes that followed, the proud and sensitive little girl suffered a shame and pain which she never forgot. To others, it might seem a luxurious or, tr or trivial affair, but to her it was a hard experience. For during the twelve years of her life, she had never been governed by love alone, and a blow of that sort had never touched her before. The smart of her hand and the ache of her heart were forgiven in the sting of the thought. I shall, ha I shall have to tell at home they will be disappointed in me. The fifteen minutes seemed an hour, but they came to an end at last, and at last, at the word recess, and they had never seemed so welcome to her before. You can go, Miss March, said Mr. Davis, looking as he felt uncomfortable. He did not soon forget the, the reproachable glance Amy gave him as she went without a word to anyone straight into the, in, into the anchor room, snatched her things, and left the place forever, as she passionately declared to herself. She was in a sad state when she got home, and when the older girls arrived, some time later, in indignation, meeting was held at once. Mrs. March did not say how much she looked disturbed and comforted her afflicted little daughter in her tenderness manner. Beg Meg bathed an insulted hand with glycerin and tears. Beth felt that even her beloved kittens would fail as a balm for griefs like this. Joe Rathley proposed that Mr. Davis should be arrested without delay, and Hannah shook her fist at the villain and pounded potatoes for dinner as if she had had him under the, the pistol. No notice was taken of Amy's spy except by her mates, but the sharp-eyed dissimulies discovered that Mr. Davis was quite benign in the afternoon. Also usually nervous, just before school closed, Joe appeared wearing a grim expression as she stalked up to the desk and delivered a letter from her mother, then collected Amy's property and departed, carefully scrapping the mud from her boots on the doormat as if she shook the, the dust of the place off her feet.
Yes, you can have a vacation from school, but I want you to study a little every day with Beth, said Mrs. March that evening. I don't approve of corporal punishment, especially for girls. I dislike Mr. Davis's manner of teaching and don't think the girls you associate with are doing you any good. So I shall ask your father's advice before I send you anywhere else. That's good. I wish all the girls would leave and spoil his old school. It's perfectly maddening to think of those lovely limes, sighed Amy with the air of Marnister. I am sorry you lost them, for you broke the rules and deserve some punishment for disobedience, with the severe reply which disappointed the young lady, who expected nothing but sympathy. Do you mean you are glad I was disgraced before the whole school, cried Amy? I should not have chosen that way of mending a fault, replied her mother, reply, replied her mother but I am not sure that it won't do you more good than a, than a milder method. You are getting to be rather conceited, my dear, conceited, my dear and it is quite time you set about correcting it. You have a good many little gifts and virtues where there are no need of parading them. For, for conceited spoils the finest genius. There is not much danger that real talent or goodness will be overlooked long, even if it is the consciousness of possessing and using it should satisfy one, and the great charm of all power is modesty. So it is, cried Laurie, who is playing chess in a corner with Joe. I knew a girl once who had a really remarkable talent for music, and she didn't know it, never guessed what sweet little thing she composed when she was alone, and it wouldn't have believed it if anyone if anyone hadn't told her. I wish I'd known that nice girl. Maybe she would have helped me. I'm so stupid, said Beth, who stood b beside him, listening eagerly. You do know her. She helps you better than anyone else could, answered Laurie, looking at her with such mischievous meaning in his merry black eyes that Beth suddenly turned very red and hid her face in the sofa cushion, quite overcome by such an unexpected discovery. Joe let Laurie win the game to pay for the praise of her Beth, who could not be prevailed upon to play for them after her compliment. So Laurie did his best and sang delightfully, being in a particular lively humor, for to the marches he, he suddenly showed the moody side of his character. When he was gone, Amy, who had been pensive, all evening had suddenly said suddenly as if busy over some new idea is laurie an accomplished boy yes he has had an excellent education and has much talent he will make a fine a fine man if not spoiled by petty by petting replied her mother and he isn't conceited is he asked amy not in the least that is why he is so charming and we like we all like him so much i see it's nice to have accomplishments and to be elegant but not so but not to show off or get perked up, said Amy, Amy thoughtfully. These things are always seen and felt in a person's manner, and conversations, if modestly used, if it is not necessary to display them, said Mrs. March, any more than it's proper to wear all your bonnets and gowns and ribbons at once, that folk that folks may know you've got them, added Joe, and the lecture ended in a laugh.